We're going to start in Matthew chapter 26. We will not stay very long in Matthew 26. We'll spend some time in 1 Peter and in Hebrews. Matthew chapter 26, and we will start reading around verse number 26. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you to uh, thank you for the good things you've done for us, both physical and uh, spiritual. Uh, Lord, we know that uh, without you, we can do nothing. We must abide in the vine. We come to church today because we need you. Lord, we need one another, and uh, we need your word to, uh, to strengthen us, to give us spiritual nourishment, to give us the hope and the, uh, the faith that we need to live in these times. Help us, Lord, to live for you without wavering. Uh, I pray that you would uh, bless our time today as we look into your word. I pray, Father, that you would help this time to be profitable for your people. Help me to know what to say, what not to say, and uh, take control of the, of the service. I pray that your spirit would uh, move and stir and teach uh, among us, Lord. I pray that you would, uh, you would just be glorified through this. Uh, this uh, message and your word here that we study this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read Matthew chapter 26 and uh, verse, let's start verse number, just to kind of get the context, verse 21. The Bible says, and as they did eat, this is of course at the, uh, the Last Supper, the Bible says, he said, verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? It's interesting that no one knew it was Judas. Everyone questioned whether it was themselves. Uh, Verse 23, And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. The Son of Man goeth as it it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been better, it had been good for that man if he had not been born. Now, just, just, if you just pause and think about those words, what could happen in your life to, that would be so bad that it had, it had been better if you had never lived? That has to be pretty, pretty bad. And uh, this, is, this is very, very pointed language, the Lord says here. And you, and you know that when the Lord speaks, not, he's, not like us, we say things that we mean, we don't really mean half the time, and, but everything, every word the Lord speaks, none of them fall to the ground. They all have meaning. Verse 25, Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Verse 26, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and brake it. And gave it to to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, at the Last Supper, the Lord uses these People like to call them elements. I'm not sure where that word comes from exactly, but referring to the bread and to the wine. And he uses it to represent, to represent his body and his blood. Now, we know the Lord's body had not been broken. We know that his blood was still running in his veins at this time. So he is not not miraculously changing this bread or this this wine into, 
into actual flesh and blood. It's a figure. It's symbolic. We know that. The Bible says that the uh, Lord's Supper, as we call it, is to be done in remembrance of Him. And there is no, like, virtue that we get from, from taking that. When we do it here at, at church, there's no virtue we get from that. It's not like we get spiritual life uh, as a result of that. But the Lord does use this figure, and, and this is actually, in verse number 27 and 28, this is the very first mention of the blood of Christ in the Bible. It's the very first time the blood of Jesus Christ is mentioned, and it's mentioned by He Himself, by Him Himself, however you say that. It's mentioned by Him. So I want to spend a, a little bit of time talking about the blood of Christ and why it's important. I'll be honest with you. The subject of the blood of Christ is easy enough to understand, and nothing I'm going to say is going to be very deep here, but it's easy enough to understand on a superficial level because we all understand what that's talking about. It's talking about, talking about when Jesus died. But, but digging down into the references and trying to understand how that relates to our salvation, we know it's the blood of Christ is we're redeemed by the blood of Christ, and we're going to talk about that some as well. But the blood of Christ is an indispensable part of our salvation. It was first mentioned by Jesus himself, and without it, there is no hope of eternal life for anyone, anyone at all. But I want to dive into it so that we all go away, if, if the Lord helps us, with a greater understanding and appreciation of the blood of Christ and what that means. And in this verse, verse number 20, 28, the Bible the Bible says this, for this is my blood of the New Testament. And that, that contrasts the, the New Testament, which is the new covenant that God was establishing with Christ, to the Old Testament, which was established by Moses at Mount Sinai. That, 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 uh, that covenant lasted a very long time. And that covenant was established with blood as well. And... Uh, and, but Jesus is establishing a new covenant which was promised in the Old Testament. And this, this new covenant is established upon the blood of Christ. He says, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Now, I'll just say this as a side note. Some people look at this verse and says, which is shed for many, but they add, but not all. Because it says many and not all. But uh, And those are people that tend to believe in what is called limited atonement. That is that Jesus did not actually die for every person. He only died for those that who, who would believe, the elect. That's not what this is saying at all. Last I checked, those that would believe and those that would not believe, that's, that's still many. That's still a lot of people. And in this verse, we can see that the blood of Christ is, is being related. The Lord relates His blood to remission. Now, let me give you a quick definition. I want to give you a quick, two quick definitions because um, to make sure we understand what we're talking about when we say remission. Because it, the, the blood of Christ is related to, is, is spoken of in the Bible as related to remission, essential for remission of sins and for redemption, which we know Pastor Stewart preached on the doctrine of redemption. I believe it was on a Wednesday night, not too long ago, a couple, a couple three weeks ago maybe. Remission here. Is, is very simple. It just means forgiveness or pardon for, a, for sin or any other offense. It means to forgiveness or pardon granted for sins or offenses of, against divine law. 
the canceling of or deliverance from the guilt and penalties of sin. You know, we still use this word sometimes uh, when, whenever you see a bill or a debt, they'll say sin remittance too, because you are, by paying them, you are canceling the debt. And that's the idea. There's a, a payment being made. And, uh, and remission just simply means where God pardons someone who is guilty. And the Bible says that the blood of Christ is essential. It is it, the, entire, the entire idea of repentance, I'm sorry, of uh, forgiveness and pardon hinges upon the blood of Jesus. It does not hinge upon, upon all these other things that we think are associated with repentance. This is the one ingredient that if it is absent, God will not forgive anyone. But God is nice and loving. That doesn't matter. God is just. And how can a just God forgive guilty people who have indeed broken God's law and are guilty of sin? How can he forgive them of the just punishment they deserve? Unless there is a sacrifice, unless there is a payment, unless there is a substitute. And so that's the idea of remission. Then you have the idea of redeem. And this is mentioned many times in, in the Bible. Pastor Stewart covered a lot of them. Um, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, you have the saints singing in heaven, the 24 elders representing the church who are singing in heaven to, to the Lord. And, and they say, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to open the book, to take the book and open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. How? What is the, what is the method? By Thy, what? Blood out of every nation and tongue and tribe, people. And then, of course, you have uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. We won't read them all because we, Pastor Stewart covered those when he was talking about redemption. I'm just mentioning it in passing as it relates to the blood of Christ. To, re to be redeemed uh, is to ransom. That is, what, what is a ransom? When you ransom someone, that means they're held captive and you make a payment. You make a payment to secure their release. That's what the word ransom means. Redeem is the same thing. It is a payment made for in order to get a, the, the restoration by, by, by a certain, paying a certain sum from slavery, from captivity, or from punishment. And theologically, you would say to deliver, it means to deliver a person from sin or damnation. So in, in, in this way, we can see the word redeem and remission are, are kissing cousins. They're, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Redemption means that God frees us from sin. Because the Bible teaches, and I won't spend a lot of time here, but the Bible teaches that all of mankind, including each one of us individually, Adam would, and then all each one of you individually is a criminal in the sight of God. What does that mean? That means we have broken God's law. We are not clean. We are not pure. God says we have we have sold ourselves to sin. And Pastor Stewart mentioned that very verse the other, the other week when he preached on, on uh, redemption. We have sold ourselves. We are bound. We are under, under the penalty of sin, under guilt, under condemnation. And it's just and it's right because we did the deed. We are guilty. And we are chained, we are bound, we cannot free ourselves. And the end of this slavery will be death 
and then the lake of fire. And this whole process will be right because we are worthy. Now that is, that is, the, most, that is the most contrary and unpleasant view of humankind, but that is the Bible view. That's what God says about all of us. We are not good. We are guilty. And this one fact is is a fact that people everywhere try their best to get out of. That we are justly guilty. Listen, I know pretty much everyone in here. But if there is anyone in here that has never come to the realization or even someone listening, that has never come face to face with the reality of of your own guilt, that you are under the condemnation of God justly. That's something you have to recognize. How how do you know you need a doctor unless, unless you acknowledge you're sick? How do you know you need a Savior unless you acknowledge and understand that you're guilty? And none of us are just a little guilty. All of us are very guilty. The Bible says that our sins are like scarlet. They're black. They're dirty. And nothing good that we do can change that. So as we talk about redemption and as it's related to the blood of Jesus, there's an end in view. We're bound, as I said, but redemption includes this idea of a payment. It, it, the, the, and Pastor Stuart mentioned, I, the reason it's fresh on my mind is because I, I listened to part of his sermon from the other week about redemption to make sure that I don't just say the same things he said, but to add to what he said. And he mentioned this, that it's related to the idea of a marketplace. In other words, where goods are bought, bought and sold. And as I said, we have sold ourselves in sin. We have violated God's law. We've sold ourselves for the pleasure that sin gives us. We were willing to just give it all up just for the pleasure of sin. And we sold ourselves over to it. And it, it put shackles on our hands. And, and now we're bound and we can't get out of it. And then, to boot, there's the condemnation of a holy God upon us. And the end, and this is the worst thing, the end of this slavery is destruction. The end of this slavery is destruction and damnation in the lake of fire. And when the Bible says that God redeemed us, that means he went to that market where we were bound and sold, and he laid down the price needed to rescue us. And having rescued us, he set us free but a price had to be paid. And therein is where redemption and the blood of Jesus come together. The price that had to be paid was extremely high, was very high. The Bible says in Ephesians that, I'll just turn there, you can hold your place there, and I just want to read it to you. I read the one in Ephesians and the one in Colossians just to give us a refresher. Ephesians 1 verse 7, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins, which is related to the word remission. And then in Colossians chapter 1 verse 14, it says this. In whom we have redemption through His blood, 
even the forgiveness of sins. So as you can see, redemption, that rescuing, being bought out of slavery and out of the punishment and the the just retribution we, we deserve, the condemnation that we deserve, was only secured at the price of Jesus' blood. That is the price. Now look at, uh, look at 1 Peter. We're going to look at a few other passages here really quick. 1 Peter, chapter number 1. I'm sure these verses are familiar to you. We're going to read verse 17, 18, and 19. Or let's read through verse 21. 17 through 21. Get the whole sentence here because many sentences in the Bible are really long. All right, is everybody there? Let's read it. The Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17, And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the, si- the time of your sojourning here in fear, for as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God. It's impossible to believe in God without believing in Christ. God utterly rejects that kind of faith. That's what it says here. Who by him do believe in God. In other words, by Christ we believe in God. You can't have one without the other that raised him up from the dead and gave, gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Notice what it says in verse number uh, 18. For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. Now, Latin, on Wednesday, we talked about tradition. We, I talked about tradition and how tradition has two sources. Can somebody help me, help me remember what those two sources were? The bad kind of tradition has its source, its origin in, in man. And then there's, there's good tradition that has its source in God, the, the Word of God. And in this verse, we can see the mention of tradition. Listen, there are many, many people on the world round. In fact, religion as a whole is basically one long process, one long attempt at finding some way to be redeemed or rescued or, or forgiven or saved, however you want to say it, out of sin and its penalty, which is upon the conscience of man, mankind. It's, it's just some way, some scheme, some method that men have invented in different places at different times to rid themselves of the guilt of sin and of the punishment that that entails. It says here, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. So tradition, listen, a lot of times tradition, what do I mean by that? I mean tradition are things, beliefs, ideas, faith systems that are passed down from one generation to another generation, one generation to to the other generation. And we figure... Well, look how long these things have lasted. They must be be true. Mom and dad did it, and grandma and grandpa did it, and great-grandma and great-grandpa did it, so it must be true. 
But just because something is passed down does not mean that it's acceptable to God. We must come to God not on the terms that mankind has set, but on the terms that He has set. And those traditional things, if they're not in line with what God says, they must, listen now, they must be rejected. And these traditions that these people trusted in for their redemption from sin and death and hell and the lake of fire were a substitute for the true means of redemption. That's why they were so bad. Because people relied on them instead of relying on the true redemption. Notice what it says here. Ye were not redeemed with corruptible things. Corruptible things. As silver and gold. Silver and gold, what is that a reference to in the Bible? Somebody help me. Silver and gold is a reference to... Say again. Well, not typologically, but when they used together. Like when Peter said, silver and gold have I none, what's he saying? It's money. It's money. Silver and gold. Now, we don't use silver. We don't use gold. We can lament that later. But it's it's a reference to money. How do people think that money... this, This verse says that there are people that believe that they are redeemed by money. How could that be? It is so true. You know, in Cambodia, they have a saying that uh, in Cambodia, the, the goal of religion, the way you earn redemption, the way you get out of the punishment of sin is by what they say, they say, which means do, basically do good to get, to get merit. That's what the word we, we would use is, but it's basically you get kudos by doing good. But the problem that Cambodians have come to understand is that people that have resources, that have money and that have wealth, also have more ability to do good. They can hold huge parties and huge religious festivals. They can can, uh, donate money to the different temples to have different things built and have their name etched on it. And so everyone acknowledges that in essence they are buying their redemption. But the same is true here. Through religious festivals, through offerings, through tithes, through different things for which money is required. People think by doing those things, they are going to help themselves escape. That is, be redeemed. They think their money has something to do with it, and it doesn't. Money has nothing to do with it. And you know what that means? If money is not required, like some people believe, and they really do if you really think about it, people have believed that through the year, through the, the centuries. They absolutely have believed that with their money, they could use their financial means to gain favor with God. I've heard it with my own ears. I've heard people say, well, I give, I give offerings to the church. I've heard it. I mean, in in churches like this. But because it's not by money, it says you are not redeemed with corruptible things. Here's what we find. This means because redemption is by Christ's blood, it allows for all people 
small and great, rich and poor, to be delivered from sin and damnation without regard to their station in life. Because it's free. Because it's free. God paid the price for redemption in the blood of Jesus, and money cannot purchase it. But there's also, it says, corruptible things, of which silver and gold is an example. But think about all the other things that people use, all the good works they do, all the religious practices they do to secure, just in hopes of maybe 50% 50 or 25%, securing that redemption, that escape from damnation, that escape from hellfire, because people are afraid. They're afraid they're going to die guilty before God. It is something that is, that is deeply seated in the psyche of mankind. But all the things we do, all the religious things that we trust in, all the religious practices and, and ceremonies that we, practice, that, that, that we think have some measure of help, some measure of, of efficacy to bring about that redemption and to save us from our sin. All of them are marred and tainted and contaminated and fouled by ourselves. You see, because we do them. They're corruptible. Don't you understand? They're corruptible. They're, they, even the good... You, you remember what, what the Bible says? The Bible says... Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Why? Because even our goodness is corrupted by our sin. And that's why the Lord doesn't accept it. That is not the price of redemption. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ. Notice the word precious there. The blood of Christ was unique. Get this. There was no one on earth like Jesus Christ. He was not just a man who was really good. He was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. He fulfilled God's law in every way. He is, therefore, He is the only person that could take the place of sinners. His blood was the only blood that was worthy to be shed for sinners. That's why it's precious. I looked this up. Did you know that moon rocks are valued at $300,000 a gram? A gram. In fact, there was a person in 2017 who sold a bag of trace dust, a bag of trace dust from the moon for $1.8 million. Do you know why it's precious? So It's so precious people, people are willing to pay. You know why? Because you can't get it. It only exists one place, and it's a long ways from here. So it's valuable, That's what, and at, which is reflected in the prices. But what about the blood of Christ? Throughout human history, there's only one person. There's only one person that could possibly do something to remove sin. And it had to be 
a perfect substitute. If any man has, if any man has sin or is guilty of, of violating God's law, in any point, no matter how small, he is unfit. He has sin, he has sin of his own. How can he take others' sins? But the Bible says in verse 18, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, he was sinless. And so his blood was precious. There was none like it. The question would be, would he be willing to give his life? Now, I want to I I make a point here. It says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but you were, were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Notice you were not redeemed... Notice you were not redeemed by Jesus' life or Jesus' incarnation. It required his blood. You see, it required his blood. Redemption was not secured for us because Jesus came into the world or because he taught the truth, though he did, or because he lived a sinless life, though he did. And that was required. That was part of it. Our redemption required His blood to be shed. Had He stopped short of this, we could not be rescued from sin and its eternal consequences. It wasn't enough that Jesus died. His blood had to be shed and it had to be offered. In other words, He made Himself a sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Now look at Hebrews chapter 9 real quick. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 7. I'm going to read through this really quick because I want, I want to get to one more verse before we finish. Bible says, but into the second, that is to the second uh, section of the temple, went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood. So this is talking about the, the Jewish law on the Day of Atonement. When they were, the, the high priest was allowed to go into the temple, into the holiest, the holy of holies, that is the most holy place. And he was required to do it once per year. And he had to take the blood of an animal or he could not go in. Okay. He went alone once every year, verse 7, not without blood. So the blood was required, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Skip down to verse 9. Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Verse 11. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered into, in once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Notice that key word, redemption for us. You notice, so Jesus died, but that wasn't it. If he just died, I mean, that's no different than some Hollywood movie they make. He, just, he died, and then he rose, and then he took the token of his death. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. His life, that is, the blood, his blood, 
that which, which represented the life that was lived without sin, he took it into the presence of God and intentionally and actively offered it. So it wasn't just he died because a bunch of mean people did bad things to him. No, he was making himself, giving himself as a sacrifice. And the token of that sacrifice was his own blood. See, I died. This is innocent blood. Spotless. And it was shed. It was shed for sinners. It was the plan of God from the very foundation of the world. But when he rose from the dead, he took how, I, I don't have all the answers for that, but the Bible says that he took his own blood and made an offering. As the resurrected Lord made an offering to, to take away the sins of the world. Now look what it says. Verse 13, no, oh, verse 12. Having, he entered in once, notice the key word once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. Notice what it says, eternal redemption for us. Eternal redemption for us. It's not something that you, that you get and lose and get and lose and get and lose. Once you are redeemed, you are redeemed eternally. Why? Because the whole thing is dependent upon one act of the Lord Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, which he accomplished and it is done. It rests solely our salvation, our pardon, our escape from sin and its dreadful uh, consequences in the lake of fire. All of that is secured because Jesus offered himself and which token was his blood. It was secured by him, not us. It was accomplished 2,000 years ago, long before we were born. It was, it was done by God himself, not our own, uh, our own activities or attempts. Eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, knows what it says, offered himself like a sacrifice, without spot, pure and sinless, Precious blood, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is the only way that we can be that we can be freed from the guilt of sin before God and in our own mind is to know that a perfect, complete, once for all sacrifice has been made, and we are therefore free. Now drop down a couple more verses I want to read. Verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It's not possible to be forgiven unless a substitute is paid. It pays for our sin. Look at verse number 28. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Look at chapter 10 real quick, verse number 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What's it say? Once. That means it only happened one time. 
It's not happening again and again and again. It was one time, a long time ago, for us. That is, our salvation hinged upon what he did. He said it was finished, it's done. We don't add to it or take, it, take away from it. We merely trust it for all. That is, it includes every person. Verse number 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, there is no other sacrifice, there is no other way, you can't add to it, sat down on the right hand of God. Verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So our redemption was secured by the blood of Jesus 2,000 years ago once for all. It is not dependent on our performance today. It was secured a long time ago. You know, that, that, give, that should give us a great deal of peace and quiet in our heart. Because it's not up to us and how we do and if we obey. It's not. It was secured a long time ago. Jesus paid for our sin in full. And no other payment is required. He redeemed us. Now, last verse. Look at Romans chapter 3, and we're almost done. I want to pose a question to you. If Jesus died for every man and woman, if Jesus died for everyone and he shed his blood and gave an offering for everyone to take their sins away, that's what the Bible says, he took the sins away, didn't just cover them, didn't just temporarily fix them or overlook them. He took them completely away. They're not there anymore. There's no reason for guilt. If he did that, then why isn't everyone saved? Why isn't everyone going to heaven? And the answer is found in Romans chapter 3. Verse 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through, notice what it says, the what? Redemption. Now we saw the word redemption is closely associated with the blood of Christ because that was the payment of redemption. The price. That is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, that is a, a satisfactory payment, through faith in what? Through faith in what? His blood. So this verse says, Jesus Paid the price for redemption. He did everything that was necessary. He bled and died and offered that it was intentionally offered his blood. This is the payment. Nothing else is required. And he says, everything's been done. Are you going to trust that blood? Through faith in his blood. That's the difference. The payment has been made. Jesus shed his blood for you. He died in your place. The, sinner, the sinless one became the sinner, stood in the place of the sinner, endured the death of the sinner, the token of which was the blood shed, which was then offered. 
The payment is over. It's done. It was accomplished 2,000 years ago. It is only left to us to trust that that was all that was necessary. That the blood of Jesus finished it. No other thing can take sin away. Jesus' blood has done that. whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. Let me ask you a question and then we're done. Now that we have a hopefully a more clear understanding of what the blood of Christ is and what it signifies and how it paid for our redemption and remission, are you trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ for your eternal life? Are you trusting in his sacrifice to take your sins away? Are you trusting in his blood? Let's pray.